All right, so Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God, the inspiration and fountain of hope, fill you to overcoming with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his super abundance until you radiate with hope. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his super abundance until you radiate with hope. So um, as I was beginning to prepare this talk, because I don't do this every week, I was like, had, you know, David in, in his grace was like, hey, let's give you like three weeks notice so you can work on this. I was like, thank you. Um, and so I was like, Lord, what do you want me to talk about? And David and I had a, a few weeks before we were talking about December coming up and we were talking about Christmas time. And David was like, wouldn't it be fun to do a series called The Thrill of Hope? Like, you know, from the Christmas song, A Thrill of Hope, The Weary World Rejoices. And I was like, yes, that's amazing. What a great series you could do, like, all this stuff. And I was, I was like, yeah, you know, and I, I got real excited because I like that stuff. Um, I like... I like when things flow and we're in December and we're in the middle of December and I was like, yes, Christmas time, Christmas songs. And so I began to pray and I began to ask, what do you want? And it just came coming up, a thrill of hope, a thrill of hope, a thrill of hope. So the great thing is we are talking about hope tonight, today. Gosh, I still haven't fully transitioned over. Um, but we're not, ha nothing to do with the Christmas song. Zero, zip. And I mean, I had like a full vision for it, like the Messiah coming, the thrill of hope. Everybody was longing. It was going to be so good. And God said, no, we're going a different direction. So that's really fun um, because I like surprises and I like partnering with Holy Spirit in those surprises. So um, the definition of hope is a feeling or expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. A feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. I really like that because I feel like there's a difference between a wish and a hope. And I looked it up to confirm it. <laughs> and I should have written it down, but I didn't. But a wish is actually a hope for something to happen. And hope is an expectation and a desire for something to happen. And I think that's really important because a lot of times we're like, you know, how many of us grew up with kind of that Disney thing of just, you know, that childlike wonder, oh, when you wish, you know, oh, or even with my kids, mom, I want this toy. Oh, well, put it on your Christmas list. We'll see what happens. There's a little bit of that that's like a wish, right? It's like, roll the dice, see where, <laughs> where it lands. Maybe it'll work out for you when you wish upon a star, da, da, da. But hope, hope is actually something much, much deeper. And the Bible talks about that. And so we're going to dig into that a little bit today. Um, and we're going to go all the way to 1 Kings 17. I'm going to start in, cha uh, not chapter, verse 7. And it said, Sometimes sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went and he came to the town gate. A widow was there gathering sticks. 
And he called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And she, as she was going to get it, he called, and, bring me a, and please bring me a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord God, your God, lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain to the land. She went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. So I want to paint a picture for you. Elijah is a prophet in the land, and he has declared a drought on the land until, it, until he lifts it, basically. And because the king... Um, has is an evil king and he's chosen to not follow God, not listen to what um, the Lord has instructed him through the prophets. And um, he's worshiping other idols. He's having Israel do the same. And it's just chaos in the land. So there's been a drought um, that's come upon the land of Israel and God sent Elijah to the brook. And a little bit earlier in the chapter, it talks about the ravens feeding Elijah the, the birds would literally come and bring him food while he's sitting um, in this place next to a brook. He's being provided for um, by God. And I think it's really interesting because Elijah now finds himself at the brook that's completely dried up. And God tells him to go to this woman, a widow, for sustenance. So let's just think about this. A woman in a land where there is a massive drought and also a widow. She probably doesn't have, I mean, it's obvious, she doesn't have a lot of food. She doesn't have a lot of resources to provide for herself. And God sends Elijah to her to be provided for, to get his food from her. And we, are, we, are, we know some from Elijah's story how Elijah had some high highs and some low lows. He had a tendency to kind of have some really amazing um, high encounters and some really amazing breakthroughs. And then he'd kind of go to the pits. If you have never read his story in complete, completely, go do it because it's really interesting. But he's also one of my favorite um, prophets in the Bible because we really get to see um, his character, his personality come out and also his obedience to God and making a draft drastic impact in his nation and in pe the people around him. So God sends Elijah to this widow. God um, caused the ravens to bring Elijah food and water from the brook, but it, he also allowed it to dry up. The very God that told Elijah to go to the brook is now sending him away from the brook because it's no longer what he needs. And so I want, 
I want you to think today about the things that have brought you hope or the things that have um, built you up or sustained you in difficult times. Is God causing those, are those the same things? Are those continuing to feed your spirit in the same way? Or are they beginning to shift? Are, is what was working last year for you not working quite as well this year? It's still kind of sustaining, but it got to step it up a little bit. You need to change some things out. What is it? Because sometimes God is going to allow what worked in one season to dry up for the next season because he has something more. He, but it requires us to step into that beyond what we would want. God could have allowed that brook to stay flowing for as long as Elijah needed it when he was out in the wilderness, but he didn't. He allowed it along with the rest of the land to dry up. So um, Elijah shows up in town, and I think it's really funny, like the first person he sees, and maybe the woman was like newly a widow and like wore black, but maybe he just was like, hey, there's a woman, and God's already provided for me this far, so I'm just going to talk to the first girl I see since he sent me to, <laughs> to a widow. And he said, you know, I just wonder about that because in, in the natural, like my experiences in walking in obedience with the Lord has been a lot more common and less, oh, this is the widow. There it is, you know. It's been a lot more like, um, hey, I could talk to this girl or I could sit here and wait. I'm kind of hungry. I'm going to talk. And so he, he, he reaches out and he talks to her. He assumes that this woman is the woman that God was referring to. And I love that. And so, so um, let's see. So the woman's there. She's picking up sticks to cook, our, to cook her last meal. And I just was thinking about that. And I was thinking, sometimes we may be the Elijah and our brook is dried up. And we have to move and step out to find the next thing that sustains us. And sometimes we're the, the widow picking up the last sticks to throw into the fire for the last time because we're giving up on something. The woman probably had done everything she could think of and every and then beyond that in desperation to provide for her family and I, a lot of times I think when I first read this as a child I was like gosh she's giving up like what a lame thing to do and as a mom I'm like no 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 she's she's a she's beyond desperation she's so desperate and she's so weak and she doesn't have anything left to give and she doesn't know what else to do except cook the very last of what they have to fill their, not even fill their tummy, maybe just take the edge off the hunger for that last moment and then try and fall asleep and be done. And I just, I think about that and I think about how God knew where she was, how God saw that that level of brokenness, of that roll over and die, that I don't see the end. You know, it wasn't just the woman who was going to lay down and die. It was her son. She couldn't provide for her son anymore. She couldn't do what, was, what she was born to do, which was nurture and bring life. And not only was it her son, but it was also her legacy, her family's name, the line, the beauty that God had created within that family 
was about to die. And I don't know about you, but there have been dreams in my heart, legacies that been, have been passed down from previous generations, beautiful things that God has placed in my heart that I have gone and picked up sticks to make my last fire, to make the last meal, to let it die. And you know, not very often do we go hungry in the United States, but man, sometimes our souls have been put on drought to the place where we cannot even begin to dream. And we begin to let go of that and let it die. And what I love so much is that God saw her, he saw where she was at, and before the end, in comes Elijah. And again, I don't think Elijah was, was thinking, woohoo, I'm bringing the glory cloud with me today. I think he was like, I'm hungry, and I am thirsty. That brook is dry. It didn't say it was muddy. It said it was dry. So how long did it take him to get his butt up and going? I don't know. But it was completely dry. And so he comes. He's wanting something. He's needing something. He's coming in need. And I think, you know, how many times, and we don't get the practice of this, because many of our needs are met, our, our physical needs, you know. Not very mu many of us need an extra set of clothes don't have a pair of clothes that don't have holes in it. Not very many of us go hungry or can't pay our electricity bills. But I want you, if you can, when you hear me talking about this, even though we're talking about bread and oil and water, I want you to shift and think about the things in our Western culture that kind of, it's like all of our physical needs are met, but our souls and our spirits are on drought. We're starving. And so if you can make that shift for me, maybe it's not your physical need, but maybe it's a, a spiritual need where, you know, that dream, that hope is gone. So he comes in, and it's so, so easy to be like, hey, Meet my needs. But when he, and I, there's nothing wrong with that. It's really important for people in the body of Christ to know what their needs are and to get their needs met. So Elijah comes. He says, hey, I'm hungry. God said, you were the person, so help me out here. And he comes, and she's like, I, I love it. I'm going to come back and read it because I kind of love um, her, her tood. Is it where? Uh, let's see. It says, as, um, as surely as the Lord your God lives. What does that say? That says, if she believed in God, which I, she probably did, because she was um, a daughter of Israel. She had given up hope in him being her provider. And it says, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. 
Both the widow and Elijah needed hope. And God arranged it for them to lean on each other. If the widow had decided, you know what? If I share with you, I'm not going to have enough. I won't have enough left over. She would have missed out on the miracle of what God had for her. And in the same way, if Elijah had said, you know what? Like, if you're not going to cook me bread, I'm a prophet. So, all right, go ahead. Go die. (laughs) I don't know. You know, I just, I, I wonder through that and I say, How many times do we say, I don't have enough to give? And there are seasons that God has called us to be still and to rest, but there are also seasons where he, the brook has dried up. And you will know when that shift happens because all of a sudden, the thing that was working for you doesn't work anymore, and he requires you to step into the new thing. And you will never feel like giving of yourself in that new season until you've gotten a little rubber under the road or on the road, you know, a little ways down the road, gotten it, the ball rolling. All right, so it says in 17, sometime later, the son and the woman who owned the house became ill. No, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. And he grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah said. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. I love so many points about this story, but the widow, I think it's really interesting that the first thing that happens when her son dies is that she goes to Elijah and blames him for the death. She's like, did you see? What what did you do? <laughs> You're here. What happened? And um, yeah. When we're left in a dire situation, do we blame other people for our circumstances? Do we blame God? I also think it's really interesting that she said, um, what did she say? Um, did Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? So not only did she blame Elijah, but there was also kind of a wrongful mindset around God. And I know we're in the Old Testament, so yes, there was punishment for sin. But I just want you to think it, it required me to take note and take stock of when things aren't going my way, 
I mean, really not going my way. Not just like, oh, it's been a rough week or that kind of thing, but I'm talking like everything is flushing down the toilet. When it's like that, do I blame the person next to me who's in my life that God's used as a blessing in my life in the past? Do I blame God? Is my alignment about who he is and his goodness, am I aligned or am I kind of, do I need an adjustment? Because so often it can be the, why is God allowing this? Why, right? And that's not a bad question to ask. What I'm saying is wrestle with it until you're realigned to He's a good father who loves us. He's a good father. And don't, man, whenever I start blaming somebody, which is usually David because he's like right next to me, but like <laughs> whenever I start looking at him like, um, it's I'm out of alignment and I have to realign, you know, and whether that's a bad day or a good day or, you know, or a good week gone bad or whatever, um, I have to take stock and go, where is my hope? Is my hope in my husband to fix my problems? Or is my hope in God? I don't do it perfectly, but man. Um, One of my favorite quotes said, Yesterday cannot remove you from the love of God, but it can shut down your awareness of the love of God. And think about the woman. I mean, it's so, so, so easy to glaze over the fact that they had enough flour and enough oil for the entire time that they needed it. Until the land was lifted from drought. The Bible said until they, until they didn't need it anymore. So I would assume that would be until they had the ability to plant crops that actually grew and harvest. And that can take a while. <laughs> that was such a subtle daily picture of the miraculous. We kind of talked about that a little bit last week, how it's so easy for us to kind of like have that inner cynic and really um, glide past the little things that God is doing and not like let him highlight that, you know? And I think, um, I think, I love that we see an example of that here in the Bible. The widow, I mean, now don't get me wrong, her son being dead, not okay, right? The thing that she had just She'd completely given up up hope for the legacy, for all of that stuff. Then God, you know, provides with the oil and the water, and that's, like, so beautiful and so amazing. And then what happens? Her son dies. I mean, that would be, like, I thought my hope was reviving. I thought things were coming alive again. I thought it was going to be better. And now, God, what happened? You screwed me over again. I don't know how else to say that but that. There she is. And it's bad. It's not good. But she couldn't, it was like, almost like, and I, I, in a human, I'm like, oh man, I so, I so empathize with her and sympathize, man. Because I'm like, yeah, my son being dead, not okay. Doesn't matter what the miracle you did yesterday, fix it. (laughs) right? And, and yet there was an opportunity for her to say, 
But the God who has provided for me every day since the prophet walked into town, when I took that first step, that courageous step, that really hard step. I mean, think about in history the times that people starved because they could not share what they had. I mean, there's a lot of stories about that where people kind of just close in and they, I mean, because it's that or die, right? She was in that place when she chose to be obedient and step out and give what she had. And, and so in a human standpoint, I'm like, yeah, I completely get it. But, but from a kingdom standpoint, I'm like, God showed his goodness to her. God showed her he was going to provide for her, that, that not only was he going to provide for her, but he saw her. He saw the loss that she'd experienced from the death of her husband. He saw the loss of resources to be able to provide for her family, and he provided for her in a subtly miraculous way. And the opportunity for her to have hope in that moment and say, hey, Elijah, could you hook us up? I know you know the big guy. I know you have access. You caused this drought. He probably didn't tell her that. I wouldn't tell her that. Um, but <laughs> be like, you don't need to know that. Okay. Um, but, but right? But like all those things, she there was an opportunity for her to enter into another level of hope and say, and listen, please don't hear me. I am not condemning the widow. But what I'm saying is there's an opportunity for a shift from a human mindset to a kingdom mindset right there. And for us, that shift, I feel like that quote really ap- applies. Yesterday cannot remove you from the love of God, but it can shut down your awareness of the love of God. The widow's yesterday was complete loss and tragedy. The widow's yesterday was a dream dead and dying in front of her. The widow's yesterday was starvation. And the widow's present was a huge need for another miracle, right? Yeah. Bitterness, disappointment, and regret are attached to the past and can remove us from recognizing the love of God. And I, I don't know, the Bible doesn't say what, the widow was feeling, but I would definitely say disappointment. (laughs) She was disappointed. Um, But I don't know about the bitterness and regret, but either way, those two things detached her from the belief and the hope that there was a miracle coming. I also would say that sometimes it takes a real test for us to know where our hope lies. Not until the child was raised back to life did the widow fully believe that God, that Elijah was a man of God. She says that. Now I believe that you are truly a man of God and what you say is from the Lord. Mike Bickle says, in some seasons, Jesus asks us, will you still love me when things are not happening the way that you thought they would happen? And when, and I, 
you're like, okay, well, how does that pertain to hope? But it does because hope, hope is always conjoined with the tension of needing hope, right? You're not really aware of hope until you're not in an awesome situation and you need to have it. And I don't know about you, but I don't ever prefer to be in those situations. Like, I'm never like, ooh, sign me up for that. Let me experience hope with you, Lord. Like, no, I'd rather love, joy, peace. You could even throw patience in there. But if I need hope, hope is not something that I'm like, because it always has attention with it. It's always tied. I mean, you look up scriptures on hope in the Bible. Listen, I've done it. (laughs) We're going to go through some of them. It's not pretty. Most of the time, hope is like, take heart, for though we are wasting away. (laughs) Truly. (laughs) Whoever feels like some weeks you're just wasting away. Man, sometimes just as a mom, I feel like I'm dwindling. (laughs) There's pieces of me going. (laughs) And sometimes there's way more of it. And I have to have a hope that what God has put in David and I and in our hearts, that God has trusted us with those four beautiful kids who are full of more energy than my mind can even begin to fathom. I can't run them tired. But, (laughs) but there's a legacy there. And I've seen them. I've seen them walk up to people and give this extravagant love and watch walls break down. Like just, it physically changes the demeanor of a person. And like, it's incredible. I've never seen the love of God be so beautiful than that. But when I'm slugging it out and I'm literally passing the puke bucket around, I need a little bit of hope that all this hard work and this sleepless nights are going to come through and it's going to be something beautiful and amazing. It's always, hope is always tied to the tension that there's a need. Always tied. But hope is also deeply connected to our dreams and our destiny and our legacy. If you think about the things, the the hopeless situations that you find yourself in, those hopeless places, most of the time they are tied to a dream in your heart or what you feel called to in a legacy. And when I talk about legacy, I talk about, I mean, like our children, what we're passing on to them, what what we're called to as a body of Christ to bring to our workplaces, our cities, the nation. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Desperate situations require us to lean and depend on God and on community. And sometimes it looks like the dream is dead, but God simply wants to raise it back to life. We see that as a common theme in the Bible. I mean, think about Abraham. What did he do? Isaac on the altar. His legacy, his dream, his promise from God. (laughs) What did he say? I will make you a father of many nations. And then he gives him one kid. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but I would be a little bit like that with Abraham. I'd be like, whoop. What do you say? Father of many nations. And then God takes it a step further. He gives him some time to fall in love with the kid. And then he gives, he's like, all right, now let's go do the really hard thing and let's sacrifice him. And that's like, ha, 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 that's funny. But I just want you to think about the dreams the dreams that you think are dead or dying or that you've let go of, or your kid. <laughs> One of those has to resonate, resonate, right? Plop that sucker on the altar after all these promises have been attached to it. All these confirmations from God, all of these things, and what happens at the very last second, right before the last second has passed? God provides, and he stops him. And I love that God made it so abundantly clear. And I don't remember, I should have checked it, but it said something like he sent the angel of the Lord appear. It wasn't the angel of the Lord, but it was an angel. There was something that actually physically stopped him. It wasn't just the sound of the, the ram in the bush. And I love that because I love that Abraham's obedience was so, because God said it, I'm gonna do it even if it kills me, even if all of my legacy and all of my destiny is attached to that, God said it, and I trust him, so I'm going to do it. And man, that, that he would have to come in and physically intervene to stop him from that obedience. That's powerful. I was talking with this in the car with my kids this week, and I was like, wow, that's intense. That's obedience, kids. <laughs> no, but we see that also with, like, Joseph, you know? Joseph had all these promises. Now, Joseph could have set himself up better for life, right? He probably could have made some different decisions. He probably could have said, you know, I'm going to tuck that one away <laughs> for a while. And instead, he goes to his brothers who aren't crazy about him, and he blabs it all around. And whatever. But the truth of it was, God had made promises to Joseph. And what I love is that Joseph had all these dreams, but he knew he was taught how to interpret them. And I think that's so powerful. He was taught how to understand what God was saying to him at such a young age. And God used it beautifully later on in his life. But he had all of these dreams and all of these beautiful things. And what do his brothers do? They throw him in a pit and he becomes a slave. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would prefer the widow, like, we're going to go cook our last meal and die, than become a slave in another nation. Just going to be honest. And yet he comes and he, he, what does he do? He just decides that whatever his hands are put to do, he's going to bless. And he's going to do it well and excellently. And God, I mean, extravagantly blesses him. And every place that he is in, he makes a better place, like noticeably better. And I'm like, man, Joseph had a hope that God was going to keep his promises, even when he was in slavery. Like, and, and I just, I just, if you've ever been through mental trauma on any level, and you think about even our modern-day slaves, people caught up in human trafficking and, and things like that, I mean, think about the level of slavery and the level of trauma that that can do to a person. 
when we really, really stop and think about it, the, the miraculous, and yes, Joseph may have been put into a less traumatic situation, but he was still sold into another land, probably didn't speak the language, probably got beat or whipped or whatever. That's not good stuff. And he held on to this hope that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. 2 Corinthians 4 says, So do we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I love that he's like, um, don't lose heart, because even though we're wasting away, um, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction. And I'm like, okay, listen, have you ever had a bad day with three toddlers? Light and momentary affliction? Hmm. I don't know about that. Because it can be so, <laughs> it seems so big in that moment, right? But it's true. I mean, next to Joseph, next to the widow, yeah, a rough day with three toddlers, light and momentary. So I believe that we have, we need three major components for hope to exist. We need an accurate view of God. Is he the punish, punisher or is he the loving and trustworthy father? And if you're somewhere in the gray there, that's okay. But building your connection with the Lord, Father God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, that will all help us realign our view, okay? And we talked about the widow's ac uh, view of God was a little bit different. The com um, community that we can lean on, that's the other second component that we need. The Lord allowed the brook to dry up. He allowed the ravens to stop bringing Elijah food. God knew that Elijah needed the widow and the widow needed Elijah. Neither one of them would have chose it. Neither one of them would have felt like it. Neither one of them would have sought it out if God had kept providing in the way that he had always provided. Both of them were in need. And then we need a right perspective. That's why I, I read Second um, Corinthians, because it talks about our light and momentary struggles. So this week, what I would encourage you to do, I really want to encourage you guys to dig in. And really, I mean, I don't care if you write out a list or, or what you want to do, but take some time and really, what are the light and momentary struggles that we make really big things? I mean, listen, I've got a list and it's long, but most of it falls into the light and momentary. It'll pass. Uh, back, way back in the day, my mom used to let us listen to a comedian and he used to say, it'll pass or you will pass, just give it some time. <laughs> and I love that, kind of, but it's a little bit um, morbid. But it's true, like, most of the things that are seasonal, that are, you know, everybody says it goes by so fast, and it's 100% true. 
but it doesn't feel fast when you're slugging it out in the hard, when you're in the hardest point of your life you've ever been in. What does that look like? So we have to have a right perspective. How do you get a right perspective? Go back to the Lord. And I think taking, making a list and saying, does it fall in the light and momentary or does it fall in like the widow Joseph category? You know, like kind of what are we looking at here? And really allow the Lord to begin to shift your perspective on things. So, the other thing that I think is really important is if you're having a hard time attaining hope, and I bet each one of us has something that popped up the second I said hope, like, but if you notice, many, many, many times in the Bible, Hope is always paired with either other virtues or other fruit of the Spirit. Okay, it's not always fruit of the Spirit. Um, but joy, thankfulness, love, peace, all of those things, man. If you're having a hard time holding on to hope for, for whatever that thing is, I just really encourage you, pull out another tool. Maybe you need to use a little bit of joy before you can get to hope. Maybe hope is too big of a jump. That's okay. So pull out your joy tool. I literally will put on, when I'm like having the worst day ever, I will literally put on comedians and just laugh at the same old jokes. A hundred times David laughs at me. He's like, we've heard this one, honey. I'm like, I know, but it's so funny. And pretty soon there's a little bit of joy stirred up. Guess what? When I'm feeling slightly more joyful, the the atmosphere in my home, the atmosphere in my heart can anchor in to that hope a little bit more, right? Or if I'm feeling like it's not going to work out, it's all going to go crashing down. Ah, I don't know, God, if you're going to provide. Guess what? I go, wait a minute, where's my peace tool? God, you've always provided. You've done it before. You'll do it again. And pretty soon the shift in my spirit comes. I, I receive your peace, Lord, again. Oh, thank you, God, that in the past I've never gone hungry. My kids have never gone hungry. Thank you, God, that da-da-da-da-da. And I begin to stir up thankfulness. Guess what? Hope is right there. And I just pick it back up and hold it again. So Hebrews 6.19 says, We have this hope as the anchor for our soul, firm and secure. And I love that picture, man. If you've ever seen an actual physical anchor like those things, first of all, are huge. And second of all, it's like you can't, it's like a dead weight. Have you ever had a kid like fall limp and like they're like 10 times heavier than before? It's like infuriating because they usually do it like the best time. It's kind of like that. I think we see hope as our anchor. It is there. It's that stake in the ground. No matter how hard those winds go, no matter, it doesn't mean we don't work to cultivate it. Sometimes the Lord's called us to go hammer that stake back down a little bit. <laughs> it's Colorado winds. But it does mean that it's an anchor that you can trust that. It's not something that's supposed to easily just let go, right? It's yours. It's a promise. We have this hope. Um, so as we close, 
I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to take a minute and think about what are the places in your life that God wants to breathe hope again? What are those things that you are asking, God, why? And you know what I hear in that? Sometimes I've given up asking why. And he was okay with me and him sitting together in that why. Sometimes it's been years. So I just, I want you to hear an invitation from Father God that there is an opportunity for you to ask why. That's okay. He can handle it. He's big. But I also want you to think about those dreams that you thought were dead. Or maybe you're encountering hopelessness, the opposite of hope. Whatever it is, I believe that the Holy Spirit is giving an invitation today for us to sit with him in that tension. The tension of the hard and the hopeful. And I'm going to play a song in a second, and I just want you to hear, um, hear the Lord speaking to you. I want you to listen. I want you to press in. Because I believe that he's going to give us, each of us, a very specific thing. So, Father, I pray that even for some of us, hearing your voice has been difficult. I pray that you would reawaken our hope to hear you more clearly. For some of us, we've been hearing you all along, but we just didn't know it was you. I pray, Lord, that you would awaken our hope to trust that the voice that we are hearing is you. God, many of us have had dreams die. Promises that you've given us that we thought were going to look a certain way and definitely didn't happen the way we thought. And we're feeling hopeless about those dreams, God. Would you speak to us this morning about how, how you're going to do it? Thank you, God, for your faithfulness to us. <laughs> 